morning. Welcome to church. Will you stand with me? Happy Fourth of July. We're going to spend a few minutes. Welcome to church. If you're visiting with us, we're glad that you're with us. If you're a regular and you've been here the, for, well, for a long time, we're still glad you're with us. Uh, we're going to spend a few moments praising our God and singing about his greatness. And then we're going to have a great, a great word from uh, one of my good friends, Jeff. He's going to be speaking to us today, and it's going to be an exciting time. But let's start off by singing. I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. I raise a hallelujah louder than the unbelief. And I raise a hallelujah. My weapon is a melody. Raise a hand. 
hallelujah to you, Jesus. Oh, God, so love the world that he gave his only son, whosoever leaves will not perish, they shall have eternal life. Hallelujah. I shall hold to the cross. I shall hold to God alone, for His love has salvaged me, for His love has set me free. Sing it out.
it's good to be with you all this morning. Can I get more of that uh, monster truck vibe he had? Like, <laughs> we're turning the church into a mud pit with the echoing he had earlier. No, it's, uh, uh, I'm the new guy. Hi, I'm Jason. I, I don't know if you're new or not, most of you. But it's good to be here. Um, I am thankful to be with you all. I'm looking forward to hearing what we've got coming today. But uh, go ahead and have a seat. You guys don't need it. Um, but let, let's turn to let's turn to Jesus right now in prayer and just thank Him for where He's brought us from, where He's leading us, and uh, have Him help us realize all the good things that He's got in store for us that we're just kind of sometimes blinded by all the little things around us in life. So let, let's turn to him right now and let, let's just seek him out. Father, we, we praise you. We truly praise you. Um, you are great. You are greater than anything we could ever imagine. And Lord, I pray that on this, this day that where we celebrate the independence of our nation, that we turn to you and truly thankful and be thankful for how you've blessed us how you have given us way more than we've ever deserved. Um, and I am truly thankful because I've seen things in a lot of places where uh, there are ways in life that you've set up that um, sometimes can be really, really beneficial to, to life here on earth. And Lord, I pray that we don't just take those things for granted, that we take the talents, the time, the everything you've given us and we freely share those things with those who need them. Um, I pray for those around the world today who are living in oppression, in poverty, even those in our own nation who are suffering. Lord, may we be a light to them. May we let your light shine through us that they might know that you are the greatest treasure that the only true freedom comes through you, Lord, the only one that is eternal. And whether we are in prison or we're free and walking down the beach, whether we are able to worship freely or we have to do it in hiding, that in all of that, there is freedom in you and there is everlasting life that will supersede all of this. We praise you, Father. And I look forward to you moving within us and through us today and that we might be transformed and that the world around us as we leave this place will be different because of the light that is shining through us. Uh, we praise you and we look forward to more of this amazing adventure with you, Lord. In your name, amen.
Good morning, Ponaz. Wasn't last week's baptism just amazing? It was a beautiful day on the beach. There were a lot of people, and uh, it was just such a delight to go down there and see the three guys get baptized, and we were just so glad to be a church family doing that. Speaking of um, a church family, first of all, my name is Debbie. I'm the missions coordinator here at Ponaz. Good morning. (laughs) We have a little tradition around here that we like to call passing the peace. And so, first of all, if you're worshiping with us online, um, passing the peace can be a virtual hug or a hand wave, and you can just say hello to the people that are online with us. If you're here in the building, we like to give, um, you know, distance high fives or, or waves or whatever. So let me be the first to say to you this morning, may the peace of Christ be with you. Pass the peace with one another. I'm not Justin, you can probably tell. Uh, Justin is usually up here at this time uh, saying something that is making me sweat in the background. Uh, <laughs> yeah, everyone that's a regular knows that that's true. Isn't it? <laughs> Justin, uh, he hurt his leg uh, last week at work, and so he's not with us today. Justin, hope you're feeling better. He's watching us online, I'm sure. Uh, but this is our opportunity to uh, give back to God just a portion, and I want to take Just a moment to talk about our good neighbor offering. Every month we've started this thing where we we collect money. This is aside from tithes and offerings, aside from other missions work that we already do. But we have a good neighbor offering that goes to help a specific need or a specific person. And this month we're going to be focusing our good neighbor offering toward our speaker and his family today, Jeff, as they will be heading hopefully within the next 60 days or so um, out of the country and being full-time missionaries once again. And so I'm going to let Jeff tell you a little more about that in a little bit. But as you give today, if you want to um, give to that, you can just put good neighbor um, or you can, if you're giving online, you can tab the good neighbor offering tab. But um, thank you. I'm, I'm overwhelmed by the generosity of this church. Um, you just have no idea. And it's not just finances. It's the way that you give your time and your energy and you serve and you connect with people. And when someone needs to move, you're there to help. And when someone needs a meal, you're there to offer it. This church, y'all, if you're in Port Orange watching us online, you need to be here. This is a church that loves God and loves people well. And so thank you. As we continue through giving, we believe that giving is, it, this is going to further the kingdom of God. And so we give joyfully. We give with grateful hearts for all that God's given us. And so let's pray. And then you'll see four different ways that you can give on the screen. Uh, let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for the way that you uh, work and move in our lives. Thank you for the way that you call us always into deeper obedience and deeper faith, and sometimes that means us stepping out of our comfort zone and saying things to people. Sometimes it means giving a little more. Sometimes it means serving a little more, but you're always calling us 
ever deeper into your grace. And I pray that you will help us as we live for you in Port Orange and wherever we live. Because we know that we have people that are visiting us from all over the place. And we have people watching us from all over the world. May we live our lives as salt and light for you. We give this time to you and we give our offering to you as just a small way to to say thank you. Thank you for the way that you have been with us. We love you. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you as you give. You'll see ways you can give on the screen. used to doing these parts, but with Justin gone and, and Jen helping with kids, I, you're stuck with me. Sorry. But you don't have to be. We would love to have more of you. Maybe you say, I could read scripture for you. Let us know. Maybe you say, yeah, I'd love to participate in some way. Let us know. We would love to connect you and get you involved. Uh, so in just a minute, we're going to have uh, a special speaker. His name is Jeff Hendricks, and he and his wife are going to be speaking to you. And I'm going to let, Jeff, I'm going to let you give your bio. And I'm just going to talk about Jeff, the Jeff that I know. I've known Jeff for, oh yeah, certain parts. I've known Jeff for 20 years. And we were connected at a church at a time that was very precious in my life because it was very formational. And Jeff was part of that group that was being changed and part of the process of helping me grow into who I was going to be. And we've, we've played Frisbee at Loose Park. We've, uh, I think you and I went on Smoothie King runs for Youth and Mission a couple times. And uh, Jeff has served the church throughout the world for the past 20 years or so. And I'm excited for you to hear their next venture. But first, we want to take a, a moment and, and read a little bit of Scripture. And so would you pray for me our prayer for understanding? Lord, Open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. So we're going to have two scripture passages today, one from Romans and one from Matthew, and both of these passages talk about what it's like to step out in faith. So the first passage is going to be from Romans chapter 10. If you have your Bibles or you have them on your phone, you're welcome to turn there. Or if you just want to do like they used to do hundreds of years ago and just hear the word, that's good too. So Romans 10, we're going to be reading verses 5 through 15. For Moses writes that the law's way of making a person right with God requires obedience to all of its commands. But faith's way of getting right with God says, don't say in your heart, who will go up to heaven to bring Christ down to earth? And don't say, who will go down to the place of the dead to bring Christ back to life again? In fact, it says, the message is very close at hand. It's on your lips. And it's in your heart. And that message is the very message about faith that we preach. 
If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's good news. For it's by believing in your heart that you're made right with God. And it's by openly declaring your faith that you're saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They all have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him? To save them unless they believe in him. And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? This is why the scriptures say, How beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. And then if you flip back to Matthew, we're going to be in Matthew 14. We've been spending the last few months in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. Skip forward a little bit to Matthew 14, and I want to read just a couple verses. Verses 22 through 33. This is a, a, a passage that you may be familiar with. It's when Peter has this, quite literally, come to Jesus moment. And so... Hear the words uh, written by Matthew. Immediately after this, this is immediately after uh, Jesus had been with them and healed people. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up to the hills to pray uh, by himself to pray. And night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting and they were fighting heavy waves about three o'clock in the morning jesus came toward them walking on the water when the disciples saw him walking on the water they were terrified in in their fear they cried out it's a ghost but jesus spoke to them at once don't be afraid he said take courage I'm here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong winds and the waves, he was terrified and he began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back in the boat, the wind stopped. And then the disciples worshipped him. You really are the Son of God, they exclaimed. Church, this is the word of God for the people of God.
Good morning. Let me get set up real quick, sorry. Thank you for not sharing everything. I appreciate that. The, the show Walters knew me at a time in life when I was trying to figure out what the call of God really looked like and just coming out of a time when I was running away from God. And so uh, things were pretty messy for me back then. And it's just a blessing to get to be here with you all and to share a little bit about what God has done uh, in our family and in our lives um, the last 20 years. We're not going to go through all 20 of them. I know there's lunch today and all that. This is our family. Uh, my wife is back here. She is due to have a baby a week ago. And so if suddenly you see me run out, um, you guys can just start praying that we get to some hospital somewhere in time. Um, we have three boys already. Our oldest is 10. His name is Gardner. Our middle is Gideon. He's eight. Just turned eight last week. We had a Spider-Man party. And then there on my back is Gabe, and that's where he likes to spend a lot of his time. He has four. And then we have a new one coming, and uh, the name will also probably start with a G. So uh, we're excited about that. But uh, we have spent, well, all of our married life, our family life, and most of ministry life uh, serving in a single country that I cannot talk about to you today. And I'm sorry about that. If you want to catch me after the service, you can, I'd be happy to talk to you about it. But due to security reasons, we're not able to share a lot about that. But I just want to start off the service by just saying God is funny, isn't he? And that's like where I like to stop and start all of my thoughts. God is funny. He, uh, he has this really great way of making all of these plans and these beautiful, just ornate, orchestral type things in our lives. And, uh, I, you know, I had a... I have another friend named Ed, and I was at his wedding shortly after I left to go to the mission field. And he said to his, during the rehearsal, he said to all of his friends and family that had gathered, he said, if you have any doubt that God is changing people's lives, I want you to talk to my friend Jeff and have him share with you how he came back into relationship with God. Number two, if you want to know God has a sense of humor, ask him about how he ended up on the mission field. Because God really did trick me there. I'm not going to get into all that today. But, you know, I look back on life and, and all of these, these times in our lives that God has created this really beautiful um, painting or orchestra, or however you like to see it, but just these beautiful plans. And then he has to go and, and execute those plans using, using us and, and the brokenness and the, the arguing and the the complaining and the running the other direction kind of people that we tend to be. It's really amazing that he gets anything done at all, isn't it? Like I said, our family has been um, in kind of a, a time of, of transition, I guess is the, the word that we hear a lot these days. We've been in a time of transition. We spent our entire careers ministering in the same country, we have, you know, close friends, colleagues. We have this work that we've been a part of uh, with the local church. And, and, and suddenly, you know, we find ourselves out of the country in the midst of a pandemic. And as we spend more and more time looking at, you know, this, this anxiousness, this ready to go back 
we begin to understand that it's less and less likely that we're able to go back. You know, and Jen said last night at dinner, she said, you know, that country was everything to you. I mean, the country we were in was was a, a part of the formative call to missions in my life. It was the first place in my adult life that I actually felt peace in my heart about being a minister and about just living among people. Uh, my whole life in the States, I never really had that kind of peace. And now we're stuck. Now, we didn't stop being missionaries. I mean, we've been in the States since February of 2000. We didn't really stop that. The Lord, again, had this beautiful way of preparing us for this time in the States. Um, we've been able to continue to engage with um, missionaries and pastors and the people on the field and to be able to continue to do some of that work from a remote location. But, you know, it's, it's not always the same as being uh, feet on the ground kind of work. And this, this period in our lives um, has been, uh, you know, pretty, pretty tumultuous. And I know in the light of all that's been going on in the country, in the world, that may have a part of what makes it seem so, uh, so big. But in, as each month ticked by, it brought an awareness that we weren't likely to get back into our country of service anytime soon. And God began to try to work through us with what he saw as one of those beautiful plans, those beautiful orchestras. And we held up our end of the... the, I'm going to use we a lot here. I'm I'm talking about myself. I like to use we because I don't feel so alone. But let me tell you, my wife was really um, steadfast through all of this. But we kept up our end of the battle, or our end of the deal, by being grumbly, by being upset with all of this by by fighting the the urges and the things that god is is kind of laying in our lives and in our paths and uh you know i it took me a long time to finally get on board with what god had for us next it really literally took a moment where god in a worship service almost it was almost an audible speaking to me through the the music and through the the leading of worship in a song that just reminded me and just told me that you're not done overseas yet. So now we have a new assignment. Um, We have a new country that we're going to, uh, the country of Georgia. I have to put Republic of or the nation of in front of that. Otherwise, people think we're just going to go eat sweet or drink sweet tea and eat uh, peaches all the time, right? But the country of Georgia, we had, it really wasn't on our radar at all. When we, uh, when we first came back to the States. And so we have a new assignment in a new world area. It's a new field in the Church of the Nazarene. It's a new region in the Church of the Nazarene. So it's new colleagues. It's new strategies. It's new languages. It's new cultures. It's new food. And I'm not so opposed to that part. I always like new food, right? But all this new, new, new suddenly... You know, I don't know if you know, but new can be like super scary, right? And, and, and super upsetting at times. Some people really love the new, and then there's people that, you know, fear the new. And I'm not one who fears the new, but I, it, it, uh, too much new is just too much for me. I can't handle it very well. And so we grumbled and gave all the reasons why, you know, the wilderness, or why Egypt was better than the wilderness. You know, that, that whole... I wish we could be back there because it was so much better than here. We convinced ourselves that God wasn't directing us that way, but, you know, the other way. And regardless of all that, God finally got through to me. And in maybe a month, um, 
kind of waiting on the baby, but you know, in about a month, month and a half, we're going to be off on this new adventure. And uh, so, I, you know, we're going to Georgia. And anybody know anything about the country of Georgia? Yeah, yeah, me neither. That's why we're not talking about the country of Georgia right now, but I'm talking about all this other stuff, right? I'm learning a lot as I go along. And so, of course, I did what everybody else does. Um, I went to Wikipedia to kind of find out a little bit. I got some books. Um, to give you an idea of where it is, some people don't know exactly where it is, but it sits between the Caspian Sea and the, uh, and the Black Sea. It's on the Black Sea. It, Russia borders the north, and they, there's kind of a contentious, long-standing relationship slash war going on between Russia and Georgia. There's uh, Azerbaijan that sits between the Caspian Sea and Georgia. And then down south, you've got Armenia and, uh, and Turkey, and then Iran and all the Central Asian area there. Uh, it sits in the Caucasus Mountains. So there's the Caucasus North. North Caucasus are on the Russian border. The South Caucasus, and we kind of are going to be sitting in between those. So Georgia, Armenia, Azerbaijan, um, all nations in that area. Uh, there's four million people in the country. And to give you a little context, our previous uh, assignment, the country we were in for the last 16 years, the smallest city that we lived and worked in was 6 million people. So this is going to be a bit of adjustment. It should be quaint. I'm, I'm kind of excited about it. It's 88% Christian, 10% Islam, and then 2% other. Now that 88% that Christian seems pretty high. You may be asking yourself, why are you going as missionaries to a country that's 88% Christian, right? Anybody have an answer for that? Because I'm asking that question, really. Why are we going there? Okay, well, the 88% Christian is mostly the Orthodox Church. Uh, Georgia was a part of the Byzantine Empire when Constantine kind of converted the world, and that was the part of the world where the church was centered. And so the Orthodox Church is still there, still strong, and still very much uh, believing that they are the church, the origin of the church. And so a lot of this is cultural. Um, it's a part of who they are. And I'm going to share a little story later about how that plays out and what we're going to be doing. But, uh, but that's what Wikipedia's told me about, um, about Georgia. And we've also had a chance to, uh, to spend some time with uh, one of the pastors that's there. There was a missionary that was there prior to us um, who is, ha has resigned and, and they're moving back to the States. So we've gotten some information about what the Church of the Nazarene is doing there. And we've only been in the country for about five years. It's a really new work. It's what we call pioneering work. There's a, few, a handful of churches that were started, um, kind of home churches, and a few pastors that are stepping up to lead those churches. This is all pre-pandemic, so we're kind of anxious to get back and see what that looks like post-pandemic. There's, a, um, there's a, a nonprofit that's set up through Nazarene Compassionate Ministries that works with uh, orphanages and uh, elder care facilities in various ways, and we'll be kind of overseeing that as well and working in that area. I'll be doing some pastoral training, some, uh, some district church development, and, uh, of course, we'll be continuing that pioneering work of starting new churches. Um, I've been meeting with one of the lead pastors. His name is Koba, and uh, he's been very patient with me. We have to work through a translator. He speaks Georgian and Russian, and I speak neither of those. So I'm going to change that real quick. I'm working on Georgian first. But he's been very patient to kind of work with me and talk through uh, translators of what we can dream the church could be in the future. 
But, you know, I started off by uh, thinking about, for me, um, transition. And, you know, transition for me um, has been a part of my life all along. Typically what I like to do is to to go to the Bible and search for uh, just things that, that help me with that transition. And, you know... I don't know if you've, if you've read this thing. You've, you've read this, I'm sure. But um, it's full of transition, and especially ministerial transition. If you look at, like, Abraham, Moses, all of these people who had one area that they were working, and God came to them and said, I got something new for you to do. And, and suddenly it changed. you got Paul. Paul's probably, like, the biggest one because, I mean, he went from persecuting the people that he then worked with. That's got to be an awkward first day of work, right? Um, and then you've got all the disciples. You've got fishermen. You've got tax collectors. You've got all these people who suddenly became disciples and pastors and apostles and moving into this whole thing. And, uh, and so I kind of, you know, I w- worked through all of those in my head. I thought through all of them. But there was one, one person who I kind of stayed away from for a while. Uh, and that's Joshua. And the reason, I'll explain to you, the reason I, I stayed away from Joshua for so long is I have this silly little thing that I do in my head. Maybe you're the same. Maybe you can just kind of roll your eyes at me. But when I read stories in the Bible, I, I tend to like to put myself into the character. In the, and usually I pick the really good ones, you know, the ones that come off looking the best at the end. Um, I don't try to put myself into the ones that, that say stupid things or, or do the wrong thing or whatever. But, you know, with Joshua, I, Joshua's huge. Like, Joshua was the one who was chosen to replace Moses, who at that point was the key leader for the children of Israel. There was nobody bigger than Moses, and this guy is going to replace him. You know, he's also the guy that prayed to God, hey, God, if you could hold the sun in its place for a little bit while I finish this battle, that would be great. And God did that. You know, Joshua is the one that, the, one of two people who went into the promised land and said, you know what, there's some really big, scary dudes there. But God's got this. We can take care of it. I mean, I can't really put myself into Joshua's shoes and feel comfortable about that. Because I don't, I don't know that I have that kind of strength and that kind of faith. And so I thought, you know, and, and, and in my morning reading a couple weeks ago, suddenly here I was reading uh, the story of Joshua. And Joshua's got a pretty great first day of work himself. God spoke to him. On his very first day of work, Moses is dead. Joshua, you're in charge. And here's what God had to say. Let me read real quick. First day of work, keep in mind. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. He said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land that I am giving them. I promise you what I promised Moses. Whatever you set your foot, wherever you set your foot, you will be on land that I have given you. From the Negev wilderness to the south and to the Lebanon mountains in the north, from the Euphrates River in the east to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all the land of the Hittites. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live, for I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. Be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess possess all the land that I swore to their ancestors that I would give them. Be strong 
and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave to you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so that you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. It's pretty good. Pretty good uh, inspiring speech there on the first day of work, isn't it? And three things that I wanted to take from this, and I want to just share with you um, a little bit about what hit me. Number one is God is with us in transition. He is right there beside us. He has never left us. He will not abandon us. He is right there with us. When transition happens, remember who God is. God reminds Joshua by saying, when I make promises, I keep them. I have promised to go with you through this transition, and I will not fail you. I will not abandon you. And I think in my head, well, does this mean that we won't face those big, scary giants in the promised land? God says, no. That's not what I promised you. Does this mean things will go back to normal after we get through the transition? That's not what I promised you. Does that mean that the trauma will go away after all of this is done? No. I didn't promise you that. And regardless of the questions that we have, and because of the transition we're in, regardless of whether we whisper those questions to Him or yell them at the top of our lungs, God says, what I promised was that I will go with you. I will, excuse me, I will not leave you. I will not abandon you. That is my promise. And that is what I will do. Remember who God is. He's faithful when everything else is swirling around us. And we can't handle another question, another change, another unknown. Remember who God is. Number two, get moving. Be active, not passive. Don't sit and wait for the dust to settle and see what's changed before you move. God says, be courageous and strong. Where do we find this courage? Where do we find this strength? Well, in the first point that I just mentioned, that's a pretty good place to start, right? God is with us. He goes with us. He won't abandon us. God's made it clear that for us, our family is to move to Georgia. Is that painful? Yeah, we're grieving the fact that we can't go back to the home even to say goodbye to the people and places that we lived. Do we wish things could stay the same? Sure, of course. But God's given us one of his beautiful plans. He's laid it out before us. And we must move into it with confidence. And then, and here I'm quoting God, then we will be successful in everything we do. That sounds pretty good. I want that, right? We all want that. But God says, okay, hang on. There's one more thing I need you to pay attention to here. I need you 
to spend time with me. When navigating transition, we must use God's word as our guide. Now, this can be challenging in a whole different way. He says, this part is an intriguing way. Study this book, the instructions that Moses gave. In this case, he's talking the first five books that Moses wrote. But for us, we can take the word of God as the word of God. Take this and dwell on it. Night and day. So that you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. Okay, so spend time with God. That's easy, right? I, I'm, an, I'm a morning person. Anybody morning people here? Get up early? I get up early and I spend that time with God in the morning. I have three boys. I'm about to have a fourth boy in the house. And if I don't get up early and get that time, I mean, it's just... There's just, it's no hope. We're just wrestling and legoing and everything else we can do to pass the day. So, 5.30, 6 o'clock, somewhere in there, I'm in the Word. And I'm listening to God and I'm praying and that's great. Done. Got it, right? Dwelling on, on the Word. God says, <clears throat> could you read that again, please? And I read it again and says, oh. Yeah, that's not the small print in the Bible. That's the regular print in the Bible. It says, study continually. Meditate on it day and night. That's kind of, hmm, that's a lot of time, right? And there were people that took this quite seriously, monks that would move out into the desert and, and literally dwell on the word day and night. And I've got to tell you, as an introvert, there's some appeal to that for me. But that's not the life that I can live. What about, you know, me time? What about you know, family time? What about the work of the church? What about baseball season, right? Surely God doesn't mean baseball season too. But here's what I think it means. And if you think I'm wrong, catch me after the service. You can correct me. Nothing a pastor or missionary loves more than right after the service, somebody coming up and telling them where they're wrong. We do appreciate that. Here's how I found this to work out in my life, anyway. I can't become a hermit monk that lives in the desert, spending every waking moment studying the Word. Um, however, I can spend as much time in the Bible as possible. Meditating on His Word, reading books about the Bible that, that people who know it better than I do have written, Listening to sermons by people who do this much better than I do, um, you know, preach about the word. It's not all of my time, but if I can make sure that it's a lot of my time, then I find that this begins to edge its way into every part of my life. When I'm trying to discipline my boys, which I really seldom have to do because they're all so wonderful. Well, God's Word becomes a part of that. It gets into that process. It tells me how I should do that discipline. Or actually, more often, it tells me to go back and apologize for not having done it the right the first time. When I'm on social media, I start to have a negative heart towards somebody or everybody because, you know, everyone's wrong. 
and I want to feed into that conversation, suddenly this starts to weed its way into that conversation as well. Am I feeding the body or am I sowing dissent? When I start to worry about being 50 and starting to learn two new languages, this can start to encourage me in that place. As long as I'm spending more time in the Word than I am on Facebook, watching TV, doing the things that tend to not enrich my life, then I find that the Word becomes a part of my whole dwelling throughout the day. Throughout the night, I begin to recognize when the, the, the lies that the devil puts in your head are just that. And the word of God shines on that and takes care of that for me. I'm going to kick that bottle three more times before I move it. Finally, there's just in this whole, whole message that God gives Joshua... There's an interesting aspect that I, I, I was kind of drawn to, and that's the fact that God even feels it's necessary to tell Joshua this. Joshua's been faithful. He's been a warrior. He's been a spy. He's been Moses' faithful sidekick through this whole thing. He's ready. But God knows when there's transition, there's fear. Not just for him, but for the children of Israel, the people he's going to lead. God knows there's fear there. He needs to say these things at that time. He knows that these kind of reminders are necessary occasionally. And he's gracious enough to repeat them to us. Especially when we're entering into change, when we're in transition. And he really comes through here on this one. It was the exact message that I needed to hear. And maybe it's one that someone here today needs to hear as well. Pastor Koba, the pastor in Georgia that I've been communicating with on Zoom. It's a message I really wanted to share with him. Because, you know, when we talk about the church, his church that he's leading, he said, we're having trouble even getting together anymore. I'm trying, but it's so hard. And so I thought, oh, this week, this is the message. I, I want to give this message to Koba. And so I, I, I got on Zoom with him, the translator, and we started talking. And I said, you know, before I get into to giving this message to him, I want to find out a little bit more about him. So I said, Koba, would you tell me your story of how you came to where you are today as a Nazarene pastor in Georgia? And he took a deep breath. He said, I, I would be honored to. Now, one of the interesting things about this 88% Christian thing, the cultural orthodoxy, his testimony, his personal testimony of Jesus in his life starts with the apostles. Literally, the apostles that came to Georgia to start the church thousands of years ago. And, and he's talked about, you know, this, this idea of, of the church, the orthodox church. And he said, there's so much about it that's good, and there's so much about it that, that keeps you close to God, but there's something that was missing in my life. And he went on to tell me a story that he started by saying, I promised myself I would never tell this story again. Not because it's hard, but because he doesn't see the point in it 
anymore. But he said, I want to tell it to you because it's a part of my story. And he proceeded to tell me about he had this this this, this piece of property in the countryside. He's a he's an engineer. He's 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 had a good life, a good job. He had he had two homes that were on this piece of property and he was getting ready to build a third. He had all the the, the needed materials there ready to build a third because his mother in law was moving in uh, with them. He had his storage building with all of the food for the winter because winter was coming. And, and he said, one day it all caught fire. And I watched my life burn. Winter was coming. My family didn't have a place to live. And while the place was burning, out of the forest st- stumbled a Nazarene missionary who was hiking by and saw the smoke. And he stepped in and he started helping in any way he could. And then he... He said, he said, Koba, I don't know what I can do in this situation, but I'm going to try to help. And so it began this relationship where, where this missionary began to share with Koba what an active relationship with Jesus looks like. That, that Jesus really does care about what's going on in Koba's life. And that he really does desire to have that kind of relationship. And the reason Koba doesn't like to share that is because he's, he's come to realize now that, that the loss of stuff in this world is not a big deal. But discovering what it means to have that kind of relationship with Jesus means everything. See, Koba recognized already that God was right beside him in this moment. And that God had a place forward for Koba to move. And he was going to go with him. And Koba even recognized that third point that I talked about, that, that, that dwelling on the Word. He's now doing um, course of study work through one of the Nazarene institutions in Europe. He's doing it in Russian, which he hasn't spoken in 30 years until just recently. He says it's so hard to do all of it in Russian, but he's committed to. So he and I have, have talked about being um, in, our, in our second half of the century of our lives learning new things. But we're both confident in the fact that God is right there with us and He's taking those steps along with us. Oh, I got so far behind here. It's good stuff. Leave that joke out because it's not, not good. Save that one for another one. God is working in the world. He's working right here in this city. We're all in times of transition. I know that. And I guess I just want you to know today that even with our family, with your families, with your jobs, with whatever's going on in your life that seems uncertain or shaky or concerning or whatever, God made a promise to go with us. And we shouldn't enter that with some sort of arrogance like God is on our side but with humbleness, humility, and just why would you continue to go forward with me when I do nothing but make mistakes? That kind of attitude that's just in awe of the fact that God still desires to go forward with us. He's promised that if we spend time, follow His Word, things will work out. We can be confident and courageous in that. We can be reminded of those words once again. This story 
the story that I'm telling you today is it's about our family, but it's not unusual for most of the missionaries in the world, Nazarene missionaries uh, especially. Many of them, and pastors here in the States, they're struck by the global impact of what's taken place the past year, year and a half. Many of the colleagues of ours in the Church of the Nazarene have spent this past year either displaced from their place of service, their place of calling, or they've been in their place of calling separated and isolated from their families who are suffering back home. It hasn't been easy for any of us. And some missionaries, honestly, they're still waiting for borders to open, for visas to come available so that they can return to the place God called them. But one thing that has remained strong throughout all of this uncertainty, all of this transition, all of this trauma and all of this crisis is that God has been present. God has been faithful. He's used churches like this and churches all over the the U.S. and all over the world to continue this, this plan of the Great Commission, this going into all the world to share the gospel with with, with those who have not heard. And we thank you. We thank you for your prayers. We thank you for your support and just the care that you have for missionaries that you may know or that you may not know. The encouraging thing is that through all of this, and I would love to just tell you the stories of where we've heard, but through all of this, the church has grown. It's grown stronger. It may not look like it did before. In some places, It needed to not look like it did before. But God has taken those steps along with the church to do mighty, mighty things. We thank you for having us here today, for your support, um, for the work around the world, and for the work here that you're doing in this community. I just want to finish today by reading to you one more time verse 9 from what God had to say to Joshua that day. And it's, starts off really subtle. I hereby command you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened or dismayed. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Thanks be to God. So when I get up here this time of the service, I normally say we're going to transition. Uh, But we've heard that word so many times this morning, transition. And this little transition in service is nothing like the transition that Jeff and his family are 